0: I think what you should do is just have a like tumbleweeds. (laughs) Just fill it in there. How do you do tumbleweeds as a noise? It (laughs) does wind blowing across the desert noise. Hello and welcome to episode fourteen of the Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin, and we're back. Yes, we are back against odds, against mother nature, against that darned virus. We're trying our best, holding it together, and we're reporting, well, we're reporting whatever we can. But don't fear, we're going
1: to stay with you as long as we can. Andy? A quick note that uh, you might hear some background noise throughout the show today because it is quite stuffy at the moment. Uh, the spring weather is starting to come up across us, and uh, so we've got the door open. Yeah, like some fresh air in.
0: and we've got... a. Uh, um, Escape from New York, like helicopters coming over the over the horizon. It's getting kind of strange out there, folks. That's uh, just my estate on a New daytime there, <laughs> really. But um, despite everything that's going on in the world, and, you know, we don't want to dwell on it too much, of course we've got to mention uh, the effects of the coronavirus because it's having an effect on the industry that we all love because we are film geeks and we're here to talk about all things film geekery. And we're going to try our best to stay with you over the next couple of weeks. We've got a couple of ideas that we're going to put into plan if there's no news. But
1: there'll always be news. If we have a lockdown, we might be recording a show a day. You never know.
0: Yeah, we could be be doing it. We could be doing it from our our homes while we're on uh, uh, isolation. There is a way. There's always a plan. Um, So, Andy, what news do we actually have?
1: Well, you've already said that we need to touch on it. And we need to really touch on how the outbreak of the pandemic of the coronavirus has impacted on the film world on all levels I mean it's dominating the news worldwide anyway but the impact on cinema is phenomenal within a matter of days we saw films such as A Quiet Place 2, Mulan, Dream Horse, Peter Rabbit 2, Fast and Furious, The Batman, No Time to Die and New Mutants all get shunted and rescheduled I mean New Mutants that's Getting no brains. It's is poor it? old New Mutants. This is it? like the fourth, fourth or fifth time it's been delayed for one reason or other, and this time it was ready to be released.
0: I know, and it was. We were anticipating it, and it was looking good. The, the last few TV spots were great. It had
1: been restored back to the original cut that was presented to Fox. That Fox then insisted on redrafts and reshoots, um, which never happened, I believe. Which apparently ne- they never happened, but it was re-edited. Yeah, um, but then when Disney took it over and looked at it and went, "Oh, it's a bit of a mess," and they got the director back and went. Put it back to what it was, and he put it back to what it was and went. Yeah, this is a good film. And it was so getting ready for that release. They've done more market, spent more money on marketing it again, reselling it, and everyone's getting excited. And now it's been pulled again. Oh, poor old new mutants. There is a place for you in the world. We will find it. Um But with the delayed films, I mean we've discussed this and I've meant those who follow us on the Twitter feed will know that I've commented on this. Is it means that we've got to reevaluate what we're gonna do with the show if there's going to be no new films for the next couple of months. That's true. Which our way of looking at it is, and let's get this out in the open now is that we're going to deep dive into some topics. We're going to look at older classics that some of us have um, missed and uh, we, we've joked, but it's now become a serious thing that we were going to add a feature in on every week anyway of Andy hasn't seen looking through <laughs> the list of films that whenever I say, I've never seen that people look at me with mouth, a jaw go, what? How have you never seen this film? Cause I've, got an embarrassing list of films that how someone who claims to be like a film knowledgeable person has not seen these films I don't know
0: and and that's kind of an interesting point because you dear listener can can help us with this one if there's any films that you think is worth our time to do a deep dive on then please let us know because that's what we're going to be doing we're going to take a movie not necessarily a classic movie a movie either from our youth or or something that we've grown up with maybe it's not too obvious and and do a deep dive on it and, and what we mean by that is review it as we go through it and talk about it and and talk about the things that we loved or hated about it and whether we still do uh do an analysis on it and, and completely completely work our way through a classic movie we've had to talk about some of the films that we'd like to do and depends how long this incident's going to last I'm hopefully we're only going to do two or three before everything sort of has some sense of normality again, especially here in the UK. But that's the plan. So we're not going anywhere. We're going to we're going to find a way. We will stay with you. But the news we do have and, and, and breaking news and Andy and I, as of this morning, have just found um, that. The most cinema chains in the UK are now closing, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, if we look at like what's happened in the US, in the US there's now 3,000 cinemas across the US who've closed. The whole of the Regal chain, which is 530-odd cinemas, was the first ones to shut up shop. But it's now a total of 3,000 cinemas across the US have just shut shop. This morning, Odeon in the UK have announced that they're closing. View have announced Cineworld still have some of their sites selling tickets, but apparently they've now announced that they're going to be shutting. Whether they're shutting from today or whether they're shutting from Friday, I- I've not read too much into it yet, because it literally has been breaking news as we were getting out of the car today.
0: By the time you probably hear this, we'll have a, you'll you'll have a clearer picture, and this will feel like old news.
1: And on a personal level, as someone who works within the cinema industry, you know, this is something that we've been anticipating. We still don't know if our cinema, Light Cinemas, is going to be closing, but there's going to be a conference call later today. So at the end of today, I might not have a job for the next few weeks. Um, deep dive, deep dive. That, so that's why, like, it could be, hey, I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to be recording stuff. Uh, it, it is a worrying time for people within the industry because with the lack of product, we've already seen like a drop off in admissions, and the coronavirus is obviously keeping people away. And it's worrying. Because without people coming to the cinema, we can't pay the wages of the employees. And we might, yeah, it's horrible to think, but we might have to cut back. Mm -hmm. We don't want to. And we've been trying to soldier on and trying to, like, keep it going. But it's a worrying time. And we don't know when this is going to recover. Because all the, like, delayed films, which were already finished, are coming out back end of the year. Well, that doesn't help for the summer season, which is normally our peak season. And all the films that are in production to come out at the end of the year or early next year have now all either stopped indefinitely, or like in the case of Fast and Furious, they've said it's summer next year instead. Yeah. So you're getting at least a 12-month delay. And this is gonna have a knock-on effect. Yeah, it's gonna certainly will just shunt films. Because like Matrix 4, Fantastic Beast 3, Shang-Chi, Jurassic World, Uncharted, they're amongst the films that have stopped production. Now these have big name casts. So when they start production up again. Are their shooting schedules going to clash with other things that those actors had signed up for? And where does the knock-on effect lead to? Literally, every you should be expecting now that any films that were in production are looking at like a year delay all the way down the line. Yeah. For the and, next and I think we're going to lose two films. or three years. There will be some which will get end up going straight to streaming. Yeah. There will be some that just they go we can't get everyone back together again. Production stopped. This is a dead film. Yeah. It's a very worrying time because it's given so much uncertainty within the industry and with the streaming aspect some studios are taking the opportunity to release their product to home market that, early. as
0: we've heard again this will be on news by the time you listen to this but universal today have announced uh, uh similar plans haven't they
1: yeah invisible man the hunt and a few others which are still showing in cinemas are going to streaming this friday i believe yeah. for paper watch because they realize that uh, i think they're saying that about 60 percent of people will be sat watching movies at home now. So they're capitalising on that so that they can recoup their costs. But this takes away the money from the cinemas. And if this becomes a trend, and this works for them as a studio, they might start deciding to do that going forwards. Even Trolls 2, which isn't even out yet. But the release date worldwide is in two weeks' time. And they're already saying on day one, it's going to be available to rent online.
0: I don't know if this is the this is the future. I don't know if we're looking it down while we're in the midst of it, I, I've got a feeling that once this is over, I think people will be desperate to get back into a social situation. If you are having to self-isolate, you are stuck in front of the TV. I think, you know, clearly Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, which is now launching in the UK in the next two weeks, are going to all have, have a benefit of a, of a rising viewership. But I think, and what we've always loved about cinema is, is the social aspect. And I, I do feel... People will be desperate to get out. I think it's a shame that cinemas are closing. I understand why. We were at a movie this morning. No more than three in 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 the there, in the theatre. There,
1: there was us and a mother and a child. Yeah, uh, and that was it. But for Invisible Man as well. I mean, I don't know why she was taking the child. But... <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it was a, a tough choice, and I don't think. No, you'll find out what film we watched a bit later on. We still have a review, but yeah cinemas worldwide the figures from last week were the lowest admissions and box office takings in the past two decades worldwide so that was down by about 50 percent, i believe yeah um a huge drop off to what was expected i mean this is the time of year where we're expecting like a surge and it's the coronavirus has clearly had an impact the lack of new content is going to continue for a while cineworld in particular are struggling and worried that if this continues past june that they might be in serious financial trouble and they have to start closing sites permanently.
0: So didn't they just do um, a major investment
1: in a in a US e- chain? Yeah, they bought out the Regal chain, the 530 odd, which have been shut over this past week. And they've recently pe- picked up another chain from Canada. But Cineworld over the past few years has been building a portfolio. It's been... I mean, people who go to a Cineworld have like that as their prime choice. You'll have noticed the refits that have been taking place, the enhancement of it to turn it into a different kind of environment. Whether you like it or not, they've been investing money to try to improve the cinema experience or offer something different. IMAX, 4DX, Screen X. Yeah, Screen X. Yeah, um, or VIP. All of that money had to come from somewhere. And over the years, they've got themselves to approximately a £35 billion negative equity on debt. Um, but on portfolio of like the amount of properties that they own, it looks good on those figures. But this is where it's starting to bite them, because when you can't take the money to be able to pay off the loans that you've got in order to do this redevelopment or this buying out of cinema chains around the world, it's got to come from somewhere. And now they're in a situation that they won't be able to afford to keep making the repayments. And they need the bumps on things. Their market share has plummeted. It was, uh, this morning, it was tracking at 27 pence per share. Now, over the past few years, it's been around about the three to four pound mark. That's a huge drop. And it literally plummeted over the last week. It went from like a strong, it was still strong to bottomed out. And it's worrying. I mean, you know, I I used to work at Cineworld. I have my own personal feelings on Cineworld, which I won't share on the show. Um, But I left them because I didn't like the direction the cinema chain was going in. And I saw some of these warning signs back then. And these were one of the reasons why I left because I I worried about the future of it as a company. It'd be easy to say that I've got a bit of smugness of like, like you know, ha ha ha. Well, I knew this would happen, but it's it's actually quite shocking because they're a market leader. They were they're a huge chain, and if they topple, it doesn't bode well for the industry as a whole. No,
0: it does have uh, the, the thing is that this there can't be any smugness because in the fact that it would have an effect on all cinema outlets, and uh, and and that's 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 the worry for our industry. But, you know, we always try not to speculate on on this. We don't know how long, it, how long it's going to last. Um, I've, I've read uh, varying reports from looking at May to looking through to August. I mean, I've got my own personal worries. The tour that I was on has been cancelled in Europe. Filming that I was supposed to be on in, in July has got a big question mark next to it. Um, let's just hope we get through.
1: Anything on a brighter note? So, on a brighter note, and bear in mind that at this point in time, all of this news that is breaking news over the past week could just end up just being vaporware that never takes place because we don't know what the future of the industry is going to be at this point in time. So, the screen reboot. Now, the screen movies. For those who've never watched a screen film, where have you been sat? Probably millennials. Not, not, not. Oh oh, yeah, it's, it's it's. pre-2000 and like... Because there
0: was a sense of irony when when the Scream movies came out. They were the the ironic take on the horror movie franchise. Did you ever watch the TV series, by the way?
1: I I watched the first three episodes, but couldn't... I wasn't quite feeling it. I never got around to it. It was was okay, but it just felt like a a cheap version of Scream. But it's a great franchise. You know, the first film came out of nowhere, and Kevin Williamson, like, with his, like, biting wit that he put into the scripts and like the self-referential aspect of it. It basically deconstructed the slasher horror genre in such a great way, but became its own entity at the same time that was terrifying and really thrilling. And the second and third films weren't as good, but they were still strong films. Yes. They were still like solid throughout. So it's one of those franchises that when you look around, you see Halloween's back and like, you know, the Friday the 13th is going to be coming back and things like that. Maybe it's time for a screen reboot. Well, Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillett, who did Ready or Not. Which you really loved, didn't you? Oh, I absolutely adored that film. It had that same kind of self-referential humour that the screen franchise had, which is why they are perfect to be bringing this back to the screen. And so they've been nabbed, and they're now in charge of it. Kevin Williamson is staying on board as producer, so it's his baby. He created it so he can work with them to keep it in the flow of it and the story at the moment is saying that it's a young woman returning to her hometown to find that a string of murders have been taking place. Perfect slasher material. I'm excited for this, more for the names who are behind it. I mean, it's it's a franchise that I enjoy anyway, but to have Williamson working with, like, the guys who did Ready or Not, that, for me, is just a dream pairing. The only thing that could make it even better is if Ryan Johnson came along and joined the, joined the crew, <laughs> because he would just add in sparky wit throughout, and, like, great, like, characters. But this is one that I'm keeping my eye out, eye out for. This could be the renovation of horror that I've been personally waiting for because Blue Mouse have done a good job of bringing horror back, but they've done some missteps. Yeah, Fantasy Island springs yeah. instantly to mind. But yeah, you know, we want. I, I didn't quite get the reboot of Halloween. I, it didn't no, I it didn't. It
0: didn't. It didn't. Uh, I I just couldn't get into it. I think what John Carpenter did was absolutely perfect. I, I think as a franchise it went way off the mark. I did however like uh H2O, Halloween H2O. Yeah. I thought that was a clever way to bring it back, but it wrecked it with a, a an unnecessary sequel. Uh, and I'm I'm just happy to know that Halloween exists and and
1: in in my uh, in my dojo the rest of it doesn't exist. So for me a screen reboot coming back that could be just what we need to take this little like sideways glance towards the horror franchise in that almost ironic kind of manner that it does i'm excited for it let's see if it actually gets made in this current situation
0: my good news uh which i am very excited about is the fact that uh my favorite video game which is the last of us uh i played i'm about to start playing it again in fact on on ps4 it's been made into a tv series and it's going to be on hbo yes still very early Craig Mason, who I'm a big fan of. And uh, interestingly enough, I've got a little Craig Mason sidebar on this. I'm a big fan uh, of Script Notes, the podcast he does with John August, and I've been listening to it for years. And it's quite strange that I now feel I know Craig Mason because I've I've listened to him in my car and at home for so many years. I I, I feel like he's a a personal friend. Uh, He brought us Chernobyl, which was a stunning series. And this is a guy who started in the, um, in, we're talking of Scream, he started in the comedy versions of Scary Movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and he think he, I think he did the superhero movie. Yeah, so he, kids, there's a lesson for you there if you're an aspiring screenwriter. Sometimes you've got to start at the bottom to be able to start doing things like Chernobyl. To be fair to superhero
1: movie, it wasn't the worst of all those.
0: No, neither was parodies. it the best.
1: It, it at least stuck to a theme. Yes. Whereas, like your epic movie and things like that, just threw loads of things at the wall and hope that at least one of them had it. a laugh.
0: But they bring in The Last of Us. There's no casting yet. There's going to be developing the series with Neil Druckmann, who created the game. And the game was just fabulous. It, apart from it looking brilliant, it wasn't the best or most outstanding gameplay in the world. But what it did. For a video game, it made me feel something. It
1: really draws you into the characters. It's it's a proper emotional journey that you get took on alongside it's the them.
0: Closest I've I've ever been to playing a movie. Yeah, uh, and to being involved in it, and and it's the only game I've ever walked away from at the end that made me feel like I wanted to cry. In fact, I did. I shed a tear because I thought the the emotional stance on it was was fantastic.
1: And I know it's been touted for a film for a while, but I think that a series will. Absolutely, them to do it much better justice, especially coming from someone like HBO, who are known for like delivering like really good product. They really like let the creators work on the story. They really let it delve into it, and it gives it time to pace itself.
0: And that's what it needs. I, I mean, I think uh, Sam Raimi was involved at one point with a, with a film, um, but this just plays the series. It is episodic in nature. If you play the game, so HBO uh, can't wait. I think it's the perfect marriage. And as soon as we get casting news, we'll let you know. But I am
1: so stoked for this. Uh, We mentioned Bloomhouse briefly before, but uh, they're continuing to bring their style of filmmaking to more classic monsters uh, after the success of The Invisible Man, which has done phenomenal.
0: And because it's a great movie and it's an an original take on on, on a classic idea. And and the idea that the the, the dark universe, which, which was shot down in flames with The Mummy, what a better way for Universal to rework it than give it to a horror studio, yep. for instance, and not gloss over it and give it any, and give it that sort of overly special effects and, and, and a studio who knows how to make horror.
1: Uh, well, they're now going to be tackling the Dracula franchise. Oh, that gets with me so excited! A new contemporary. Take on the classic character, which, again, will have nothing to do with Dark Universe world-building. It will be its own individual standalone story. And there's also the additional rumours that James Wan is uh, working on another monster movie, which everyone's gone, it's Frankenstein, isn't it, mate? It's Frankenstein. As we said, the like Bloomhouse have their missteps, like Fantasy Island. What they did with Invisible Man, if they can repeat that with Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, like all of those classic characters... Bring them up to a modern day setting, but tell a different kind of story with them. I'm excited. The good thing about Bloomhouse is that they don't throw loads of money at them. No, they they keep the budgets quite moderate, usually below ten million, which means that you know, Fancy Island didn't perform, but it only cost eight million to make. Yeah, so I think it finished on like about forty million worldwide. Forty million is enough profit for an eight million film. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like Invisible Man, which again cost around about the same amount, has flown exceeded away that. so it, it, they show that you don't need to go for like 120 million budgets 250 horror million movie budgets.
0: is about low budget horror
1: should be cheap yeah. i mean the Saw franchise did this, did similar i mean yeah. i think the most expensive one of them only cost about 22 million to make and they were taking 100 200 million so you don't need to throw everything at it with a horror and bloom House are just a prime example of how to deliver on the horror things that for every miss that you've got you've got four hits that really capture the audience's attention. I do know one person who just didn't get Invisible Man in the absolute hit, and he can't understand why everyone else likes it. There's always yeah, one. There's always one, uh, but he does like Michael Bay films. So, um, oh, we'll let step away, walk away. Step away from that. I won't name him here because uh, he knows that I, I shame him enough in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um, other news: so Jason Statham was set to star in a film about an assassin who teams up with a New York screw up when they stay in the same. Airbnb and hilarity in action would ensue, but um, it was reported like about a week and a half ago, and reported quite badly in some press by missing the quote to the film. Oh, the grammar Nazi in me just as loves this story. Jason Statham pulls out of the Man from Toronto, and I couldn't help but think that maybe the Man from Toronto was quite happy about that. Yeah, well, you never know; it might have been consensual,
0: but we, we only uh, uh, we're only guessing on that one.
1: But um, Statham backed out of it, and Woody Halson has now stepped into the role as the assassin, teaming up with Kevin Hart.
0: You know what? If it's a comedic, I think Woody Harrelson knows knows comedy in a way that uh, I, I'm not suggesting Jason Statham is a poor actor. I think what he does, he does it incredibly well. But I think
1: if it, this is a comedy, I mean, yeah. if you if you look at like the Zombieland films, they're a no. great example of how Woody Harrelson can like semi play it straight whilst having a humorous side to his character, and I can see that kind of comedy working. Maybe not with Kevin Hart. I'm not overly sold on Kevin Hart. No,
0: no, I can walk away from that. I, it, it's it's not even straight to uh, uh, home viewing for me. It's straight to never seeing in my life, unless <laughs> I hear that it is the Citizen Canes of yeah. assassin screw-up movies, but I doubt it. Have <laughs> yeah, you got any Marvel news? Because uh, I have a rumour.
1: I had a rumour. I know, we should have more music in this this show. Well, the only Marvel news at the moment, for, like, which is big news, is all the delays, cancellations, and everything put into... Hold So we don't know when phase four is actually going to proper kick off. But what have you heard?
0: Well, firstly, on on that one, uh, the good news is, is the director of Shang-Chi, who who was self-isolating due to the coronavirus, has discovered that he hasn't got coronavirus. So uh, hopefully production will restart on that. I heard a rumour that the upcoming Spider-Man film will feature a lawyer, a certain blind lawyer. That is presumably... Does he rhyme with dandelion and burdock? He does indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that will be played by Charlie Cox.
1: For our American listeners, uh, dandelion and burdock is a rather disgusting fizzy drink that people in the UK seem to gravitate towards.
0: Yeah, it affected your childhood. Actually, that's probably the cure for coronavirus, dandelion and burdock. It seemed to be the thing you had whenever you fell down. i put
1: this on pause, I'm going to the shop and buying some. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there is a rumour that Charlie Cox will be appearing in the next Spider-Man movie. As a certain blind
1: lawyer. I know that Charlie Cox over the past few months has been hinting that he would love to return to the character. And uh, it's still up in the air as to whether he will. This is great news.
0: I hope so. Because that should therefore open the door for the muted defenders that we yeah. talked about on on uh, the last episode. Uh, and my other Marvel uh, news or gossip. And this is gossip. It's pure speculation. But apparently Vin Diesel, while doing the rounds for Bloodshot, which nobody saw, by the way.
1: Yeah. I'm um, not uh,
0: interested. It just looks like Universal Soldier. it was the
1: best-selling comic book, according to the post. Well, the, best-selling the, from the Valiant line. Well, the best-selling from the Valiant line in the late 90s. Yeah. It ones that sold well. <laughs> They've tried to relaunch that title, what, 10 or 12 times? Mm,
0: the Valiant just keeps valiantly trying to relaunch <laughs> itself. But according to, uh, at a press conference, Vin Diesel has said that characters from Guardian of the Galaxy will be appearing in the next Thor movie. Yep, I've I've seen similar rumours. And this comes from uh, the horse's mouth. Well, Vin Diesel, I wouldn't dare call him a horse to his face. But apparently this has slipped out during a... Because you imagine by the end of the day, he's talked to 30,000 journalists at the end. Somebody goes, hey, are you doing... uh, What are you doing next with Guardians? Well, we're in going to be in the next Thor movie.
1: Apparently, there's also it's also been revealed that Thor will pop up in Guardians three as well as like a little. So the two franchises are so tightly interlinked now. So yeah, I mean it's exciting. I mean I love the Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. So and and I love what has what's been going on with Thor. Yeah, I can't wait for both sequels. Who, Who knows when they will appear? Eventually, is that it for the news? Well, the only, the only last thing is uh, Disney Plus is due to launch in the UK. Which is fortuitous timing on Disney's <laughs>
0: side. No offence to anybody who's who's suffering with, with the virus, but it really has worked out in Disney Plus's favour. I,
1: I know personally of a few people who hadn't paid for the full year subscription in advance thinking, oh, I'm not bothered, I'm not bothered, but over the past week, with everything going on. I'm one. <laughs> have stumped them all down. Stumped that money down.
0: I'm one of those. It actually doesn't work out bad. if Because it's got a... It's just got, under
1: 50 quid if you pay yeah, for the year in advance.
0: pre-order deal on it. It works out as, you know, just a... 4.17 a month or something. Yeah, which well, ain't bad at all for, for the amount of movies. And I've not seen The Mandalorian, so... I, I will be uh, hoping that Mandalorian will hit. So of course, waiting
1: and watching the Mandalorian.
0: Mandalorian. Of course, with my look, though, by the time the subscription ends, because there'll be probably zero else I'll watch, it'll just be the time when the pushback Falcon and Winter Soldier will be just appearing.
1: Uh, one of the late announcements that they had alongside it was that, yes, they have got the rights to show The Simpsons on there. Yes. Because there was all this concern that Sky still had the rights to show it in the UK, because that's what's delayed the launch of Disney Plus anyway, the deals that they had with the had Sky. And the, it was literally about, well, it was literally just after we recorded the last show that yeah, I went online it. and they just posted a picture of the Simpsons donut. Which we can tie into with our review as well. Yep. But one thing that Disney has con- confirmed is that nowhere worldwide on Disney Plus will Song of the South get released.
0: Which we've we been discussing before we started recording. Now, for those who don't know, Song of the South came out, I think, in the 50s, was a, a part of the. It was partially animated, partially live action. Um, I saw it as a kid, so I've actually seen it. But I saw it, and I literally was a little kid. So I, uh, some of the uh, um, some of the suggestions of what it's about, I, I don't really remember. But I understand now the concerns about it. So apparently, no one's ever going to see this film.
1: No, I mean, um, it got a limited DVD release in the early part of this century. Um, in the US and then got pulled completely and it, it's it's impossible to track down and it's because it, the the film is like set on a plantation in the deep south and it's uncle remus telling yeah. the stories of Brer rabbit and like the, the famous song Doo doodah came from it and mm-hmm. the problem's not with the animations or the like songs and like those little elements and like we've probably seen most of them through the years on UK TV as kids growing up because they used to have like the like songs of Disney kind of shows and you get to see them. So most people have been aware of those aspects, but it's all the live bits around it that... Which is set on a plantation with slaves. Set the wrong impression. And whilst with then, Dumbo gets like some flack for like the representations of some of the characters, they've got the disclaimer before it, but with Song of the South, it's so ingrained into the film that they can't even, they don't even feel that they could just put a disclaimer and say, this is a different time and you need to appreciate it. It's like, no, this this maybe shouldn't be seen these days because this was not a good time. Whether, whether or not they'll take the snippets, like they did on those old UK shows, of like the songs or the small animation tales and release them as separate shorts, that'll be a, a way to like at least give some of the spirit of it without having the troublesome elements in the... there.
0: There's no straight answer to this and, and, and it, you can only talk about what you think. Um, I'm, I'm not a one for censorship. Uh, I don't believe in censorship. I don't think it, it advances as a, as a society to to ban what we don't like. I think that certain films are a time capsule of the period that they were made in. Um, it's it's a tough one. There's no there's no easy answer to it. But it's a, it, I do always think it's a shame, especially and we mentioned this that that Gone with the Wind still yeah is I out mean
1: there. I, I've recently. Watch Gone with the Wind for the first time. And what am I, problematic. Uh, Andy has never seen? Yeah. And that has some problematic elements in there. Really like, ooh, cringe-worthy yeah. representations through the film that make you go, "Oh, I felt uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen. It's still vaulted. They've not scrapped it. They've not burnt all prints. It's vaulted. Yeah. Uh, which means that a copy is still there if they ever decide to release it from the archives. But don't expect it anytime soon
0: so all those people who are collecting are
1: like the dvds or blu-rays which have the numbers on the side you will always have that missing number yeah
0: and it'd be great actually if you did have a, have it as a missing number as well yeah in the run
1: uh final bit of news is the razzies were this weekend the last yes it's normally the night before the oscars the razzies run but because the oscars was early the razzies were like well we're not moving and because they the razzies can do the whatever the they want and uh cats dominated and so it should with um, Worst Supporting Actor and Actress for James Corden and Rebel Wilson, Worst Picture, Worst On-Screen Combo, Worst Screenplay and Worst Director. If you had to put money on this, I think you probably could have got like a really good like bet Clearly, all of them. the
0: love for Cats isn't out there. It's not in our world.
1: Rambo Last Blood got Worst Remake, Rip-Off or Sequel. John Travolta got the Worst Actor for The Fanatic and Trade and Paint and Hilary Duff for the Worst Actress in The Haunting of Shannon Tate. The one award that I always love from the Razzies, which is one that they introduced, oh, when Argo and Gone Girl were coming out, um, is the Redeemer Award, and this is sort of like whereas the Razzies is taking like a jokey look at like the bad side of cinema like while everyone's patting themselves on the back and congrat- congratulating them, they've always been like, yeah, well, there are some rubbish things out there, and famously, people like Verhoeven have turned up to accept this award. And um, my favourite one was Harry uh, Berry when she turned she up just and embraced said, it and said like, I need to get a better agent. Yeah, <laughs> that that kind of embracing of it shows that not everyone takes it seriously. Some people get huffy about it, but no, it's just a bit of fun. But the Redeemer Award, which they introduced only in recent years, is a great little award because it's those actors that have gone through a really bad period of films and become a joke who suddenly go, this is what we can do. And like Ben Affleck was the first winner of it for Argo, Gone Girl. And we've seen like other people. This year, you had Keanu Reeves was in the running for it, which everyone loves Keanu Reeves at the moment. But, I think they got the right person. Got it, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is my name. And and, and
0: have you seen Dolomite?
1: No, it's but great. I've heard so much about it's it. It's
0: so good, and he is so good in it. And it's it it makes you remember how good and how great a talent Eddie Murphy actually is. And and he sort of squandered it with the, with his family movies, and and he went down a clear path when he wanted to do everything in a film and um, ego overrun everything it is but in dolomite it's fantastic it's a really raw still a funny performance it's a nuanced performance and he plays a character rather than he, he plays a shtick if you know what i mean um so yeah i'm i'm a great fan of the razzies i think it, it does hold up the dark mirror to the business and and show some of the embarrassments and and embarrassments like cats need to be having a clear look in the in the mirror and then dropped in the kitty litter of history
1: <laughs> so that's that's, that's the
0: news years. Okay, so at uh, this point in the programme, we are reviewing, well, what are we going to review? It's, it's going to get tough over the next couple of weeks, but I think this may be the last review for a couple of weeks, uh, uh, looking ahead. And what are we going to be talking about?
1: Well, today, and this, this is rare that this happens, normally we have a few days at least to process we've had a couple of shows where we i've seen something before you and you've literally come from watching it yep. and so you've got fresh thoughts but this is the first time that both of us have seen the film at the same time literally just before we started recording and what a film onward this wizard staff brings dad back i'm gonna meet dad ah, it's just legs. we only have 24 hours to bring them
0: back we're going on a quest
1: from pixar
0: ah, unicorns.
1: tom holland and chris pratt My Brother is a wizard! I oh,
0: forget it! Barley! Oh no. Disney and Pixar's onward. Put it in
1: all for onward! Woo-hoo!
0: It's everything that you like about Pixar, and that's the redeeming feature of this film because Pixar tell stories that feel eternal and, and have reached a stage with animation that you forget now how. Beautiful and brilliant, they look. They they reached a stage a few years back, I think probably about Monsters Inc. For me, when you saw the detail, you were you were awed by the detail of of the fur and and the world around it, and you kind of moved on from that because you know that a, a Pixar movie is going to look absolutely fantastic, going to be the the height of of, of animation and artistry. But they have this element of storytelling that just elevates it. Even above Disney for me, and elevates it onto a level where it's a it's a universal truth and it's a universal story that appeals to everyone and it's always the story that counts and the and the Pixar movies that aren't as good are where they've kind of lost that I'm looking at cars, cars 2.
1: 2. yeah yeah where it tried to do something different than cars but for the wrong reasons yeah but it actually came back with cars three which, which which was more in tone with the first film and yeah. I, I, I consider that the Creed to yeah. rocky. The Cars franchise, because it's that handing it over to a new generation kind of story. Onward, it's set in like an alternate Earth of fantasy and myth where magic and dragons reigned and then people got a bit lazy and technology started to develop and it's taken over.
0: And magic has got pushed out of the forefront. So uh, magical beasts such as unicorns exist. But they are now the vermin. Vermin. They <laughs> eat garbage. And elves and trolls all live in a society which is our world, basically. But they are it's populated by fantasy creatures. Uh, and in two particular fantasy creatures are two brothers voiced by Chris Pratt
1: and Tom Holland, both from Marvel, of course.
0: Yes. And um, go on a quest which is a kind of inspired by sort of Dungeons and Dragons, really, isn't it?
1: Chris Pratt is the older brother who has some memories of the father before he passed away, but has not really made much of his life, but he's obsessed with history. And history here, his, he plays tabletop board games, yeah. uh, like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of aspect, but he keeps insisting that this is based on actual history. This is based on history, even though everyone else dismisses it as just a daft game. And Tom Holland is the younger one who doesn't remember the dad and never had that relationship with him.
0: And kind of lives his life in, in fear. He, he kind of, Tom Holland... Basically, replace Peter Parker to yeah. a to a degree, and um, they are given a gift, and a gift from from his deceased father that you can spend one day with the father uh, as part of a magical spell as a gift for for both brothers, and it all goes wrong, and a, a quest exactly like the D D quest uh, unfolds through this world, and they go in search of trying to resurrect their Half their father, which is part of the running gag because the, the dad has only come back as his legs. I know it sounds complicated and it is complicated to a degree. And and this is where it works beautifully because it, it's the setup kind of reminded me of Monsters, Inc, because you, you, you're you thrown into this world and it's beautiful and it looks great and you, you accept it. And in the first part of the film is you're shown around this world and, and, and you become absorbed in it and then the characters go on the quest to try and bring back their father and it's a good romp it's good fun and then something crucially happens in that suddenly makes it into a pixar film
1: that the heart hits in that last half and yeah I, I don't know what it is with pixar films whenever i watch them at the cinema I just, there must be dust flying around yeah, something got in this, your eye so like towards the end of the film i've actually like i'm starting to like tear up and it, it can't be the emotional of it no, it, it really hits you in that like personal way that films like Coco have, Up did. You know, when Pixar managed to catch your emotions, they really do it in a solid way that makes you reflect on your own life at the same time yes. and start to think of own memories similar and it just brings you to like utter tears. In a good way,
0: and that's what Pixar do, don't you think? It's it's that they tell a story that that suddenly you suddenly realise what it's really all about. Instead of it just being, and it could have easily been just a a grand adventure, and it would have been a lot of fun, and we would have enjoyed it, and it it would look great, and we we would laugh in the right places, and, and as we explore this world and explore the relationship between the two two brothers, but Pixar have this thing of where they take it into. Into the stratosphere of storytelling and it becomes about something and it's it's always there. It's always there in the first act, and then it reveals itself. And that's the essence of of why they're an amazing studio. They know how to tell a human story, even with anthropomorphic characters or or elves in this case, they they touch upon something which is a, a universal, a universal story, and they do it so so well. And it's it's a it's a beautiful film. It's not got the elements that, like a Wally had, where which is a game changer. It's certainly not a game changer of a movie. It's just a very, very good film on its own right and a, and a great Pixar film. Uh, and I don't know where they can go next with it because you know they've given us a Toy Story three, they've given us a Wally, they 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 deliver these films time and time again, and every time we go, eh, you know what? Maybe they've reached that point, and then they then something comes along. And I've just seen the trailer for Soul, which looks beautiful. Yeah. And um, uh, if you are in the situation where you can get into a cinema, then go and see. Uh, Good luck Yeah, that. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that's that could thing. be a
1: quest in itself. Trying to find
0: this film <laughs> because it is well worth seeing. Interestingly enough, there is a short, which I didn't realise that, that uh, there was going to be with this film, which is an introduction, basically welcoming The Simpsons. To the to the Disney. Yeah. To the Disney uh, uh franchise. It was a a
1: little Maggie short. Yeah,
0: which basically didn't have to pay any of the actors. And it's got some
1: great little visual moments within that. And it I I fell out of favour with like watching The Simpsons on TV quite a while ago. But that makes me want that short makes me want to watch The Simpsons again because it reminded me of how The Simpsons can just really catch you. yeah. It can really like make you chuckle. It does little n- nods to other franchises in there. It's a great little short, and it, yeah, we're so used to like Pixar films having a short before them, but it's normally a Pixar short. Yeah. So it's very refreshing to actually get. Oh, actually, no, the it, this is not a Pixar, but it's got the same kind of feel, and it makes you realise that how good the output that Disney can give us now. Maybe we might get a Simpsons movie at some point.
0: Could be. It's I know the, there's already
1: been one, but they've always speculated they might do another if the right story comes along.
0: Let's hope so, because I, I I've got some love for the Simpsons movie. It wasn't I think there was a lot of expectation with what we you, what you were going to expect, to what was going to deliver. Would it be Would it be an absolute game changer? It felt like um, an extended episode, but then again, so it should. Yeah, because it's the Simpsons, and it did steal Stephen King's Thunder.
1: Yeah, with um, Yeah. Let's not mention Under the Dome by Stephen King, because it's <laughs> it's not his best of books, and it was definitely wasn't his best of the adaptations.
0: It was so big a book that I now use it to
1: hold the shed up. Hey, well, at least it's got some use for you. So, uh, uh, yeah, this... go, go and watch Onward. If you that. get the chance. Yeah, if you get the chance. And if not, it'll be on Disney Plus soon at this rate. So uh, let's hope that it gets the audience that it deserves.
0: At this point in the show, we talk about things that we found interesting to read, watch, uh, games we played... And uh, we're still going to be bringing you this every week. And I have a series that's on Apple Plus. I recently got a new iPhone, so I could get Apple Plus for a, a year for free. And it's I, of an
1: expensive way to get Apple, Apple yeah, Plus. Yeah, no, really. I you know. It's a sort of a <laughs>
0: back-ended deal. And there's been nothing really that, that attracted me. I tried Amazing Stories, and it wasn't that amazing. Mm. Um, that's disappointing. Well-made, but it just didn't have it, – it was just too – it's too family friendly, so uh, it, I needed something that had a bit of bite, and it just didn't deliver for me. But what is delivering is a series called Servant, which is produced by Bloomhouse, which is, seems to be the theme of this uh, uh, this week's program. Sponsored by Bloomhouse, <laughs> that would be great, Bloomhouse. If you're out there, please sponsor us. <laughs> and it is one of those series. It's only uh, it's only a half hour every week. It's uh, typical bloom house it's a small cast it's a contained environment uh, i'm not going to give anything away but basically a couple who've had uh, had a child and uh, the child has passed away and been replaced by they they are the most bizarre awful thing that i've ever seen which is a, a replica baby and apparently this is a real thing my, my partner tells me that if you've lost a child you can have it like a, a, a basically a rubber child rubber baby to to ease yourself, uh, ease ease from the pain of of losing a child. And uh, a nanny comes in to look after this child. And that's all in episode one. And then where it's going, and I'm only halfway through, I couldn't even begin to tell you. But what I can tell you is it's absolutely gripping. I don't know what it's going to end up. I don't know where it's going. Is it supernatural? Is it a psychological thriller? It's everything that made Invisible Man good. The first uh, episode was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and it has his paws all over it for the for the look of it across the entire series. Uh, Nimrod Ansel has directed a lot of the episodes, and he directed Predators if you remember that yep. one. Uh, so it looks great. I have no idea where it's going. I'll probably try and get this finished by the weekend, but it's a great series, and that servant on Apple Plus TV.
1: My pick. Yes. Now it does help if you've watched. Two seasons of it already. But Westworld season three Ooh, started let you week. mention it. And Westworld for me is brilliant storytelling. Each season so far, as like you what yeah, you, you can't try to delve into each episode and try to understand each episode until the whole series is played out and then reflect on it and rewatch it and piece the puzzle together. Cause it brilliantly plays with like things being sh- like out of time. It shows two different time frames yeah. alongside each other, it weaves the story intricately. I have loved Westworld since it got launched. I loved the first season. I know a lot of people were put off on the second season because it got very convoluted. But I always say to them, it's like, now that it's finished, go back and rewatch it because it's not as convoluted as you think. It's just a lot sharper and a lot smarter than what you remember.
0: Because it deals with all this non-linear storytelling. and, And what happened in the first season is about halfway through, you kind of had that light bulb moment where you go, hang on. Yeah and, and it was uh, you were speculating at that point is this is this all happening in, in in a in one time frame or are we looking at multiple time frames uh, and that's when it clicked that it was there was a lot more going on in the series and then the same thing played through in 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 the second series i've not got round to watching it. it's probably what i will do when i go into self isolation tomorrow
1: well season 1 and 2 stayed focused on the parks it was westworld and also the samurai Yeah, we got
0: introduced to that.
1: You know, it it kept in the parks. Season three, broken out. uh, Because the end of season two fed it to it's going to be the mass world. And it's going from different points of the world. And different events that are taking place. And I'm confused. One episode in, I'm confused. I don't know how this is all going to be linked. But I have utter confidence and faith in the guys behind it. Jonathan Nolan um, directs the first episode. He's been behind it from the start. And I can't wait to see how the characters that I already know who seem to be acting slightly different now, why are they acting different? What's their motives this season? And the new characters that have come into it, who they are and what is it is about them that links them into this whole story. I'm excited to see this season play out. I'm not even going to try to analyse each episode because I'll just end up messing with my head. I'm going to let the series, like I did on the second season, flow over me, enjoy what was going on, on screen, and then go back and rewatch it. And I also need to just give a shout out to the sound the score for the Oh, the
0: score is fantastic. Since the
1: very first season, the score has been spot on and it's exactly the same here. It's like really, it's played throughout the episode and it really carries the journey. Ramin Djawadi, who is also behind the Game of Thrones scores. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Did Uh, he do the first
0: Iron Man movie?
1: I think he did, yeah. I think he did. He's got just a masterful use of music and yeah, his use of contemporary music I love that. In the episodes has been great. And whilst there's not as much of it yet in there, uh, there is a great use of pulp's common people, but it is actually pulp's common people. Oh, right! Uh, towards the end of the first episode, it's a brilliant score that even when you listen to it without the episode, it's just beautiful music. I, I went every season. I always end up buying the album for the season, and then I'll sit for weeks. I loved how they dropped in the
0: Rolling Stones and the oh, and Paint It, went, it Black, was... and then they dropped in the Cure in there. Uh, yeah, fantastic! And I thought it was so clever, and it, and it fit the it fit the mise en scène. Big word, kids. Look it up. Wow, <laughs> it fit the mise en scène <laughs> of the series that it was played. That that if you would go into a uh, a saloon, that they, you would be listening to contemporary music mm. rather than period of the time because it, it it fit into it. It fit into it beautifully. Uh, it had me guessing Lisa Joy, who who's uh, Jonathan Nolan's wife, um, co-wrote and I think wrote most of, the, of season two. I think she's on another project at the moment, which is quite exciting. I'll see if I can remember what it is for next episode. But I think it's 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 one of those those series that proves to me that you you shouldn't have to binge watch. Because in the age of in the age of, of the way we, we consume TV, the idea of, of water cooler TV has is, is, has almost become a thing of the past. And that's one of those series, Westworlds, with which you discuss after you've seen it, because there are so many ingredients and you can if you can avoid going on Reddit uh, and to see other people's theories of it, you can start to draw your own conclusions and then see if you're right or wrong as a series plays out as that would say that light bulb moment for me in series one, when I realized, Hey, wait a minute, this is more than one timeline. And it, it, it was became a sort of uh, a sense of smugness about guessing that I'm being proved right, rather than have to um, have to consume it all in one go. I just, it's one of those series I just couldn't do that with. I need that week to sort of figure it out. And that's processing. Same with Watchmen. And, and that's why, you know, we're talking about what we mentioned earlier with, with The Last of Us, I can't wait to see what they do. They've just got a good handle on genre at the moment, HBO, because they let the creators... The create? Cre- create, absolutely. Um, and in this day and age, we are living in a golden age of fantastic TV. Um, and Westworld's been one of those series. And and I believe season three is the last season.
1: Yep. Uh, they, it, they've always planned it to have, like, a definitive end. And you can see that because... The whole change from being set in the park to being in the real world, obviously, is built into something major. And yet it makes sense that this is the final season. It's going to all resolve this whole like self-awareness that the robots had and how society responds to that. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. And I will probably get around to watching it today. So we mentioned it at the beginning, there's um, the whole Andy hasn't seen. Oh, yes. Aspect. So what I've got an idea for is that I've got a list on Letterboxd. If you go onto my uh, film Filmfile Twitter account, Filmfile UK, you'll be able to, I'm going to update my profile description to have the link to my Letterbox account. But I created a list of Oscar-nominated films I really need to get around to watching. And I've been asking people to look through the list and recommend films. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to have a scan through this list and pick a film for me to watch before the next recording. Fantastic idea. You're having a quick scroll through that list there.
0: Yeah, and there's some, some fantastic films. There's, there's at least two of my all-time favourite movies in there. And um, it's a tough choice. But I'm going to go with The Thomas Crown Affair, the original,
1: oh, uh, with Steve, Steve McQueen, McQueen and
0: Faye Dunaway, because it's one of my go-to films to see how style of, of the period and, and I know I'm a, I'm a sucker for a heist movie, but the style of the period in, in the late sixties became part of the filmmaking process. Apart from it being a, a damn good yarn and Steve McQueen in, in, in undoubtedly for me, his best role, but the, how the style of the movie plays out.
1: Doesn't it use? It uses split effects. screen and Andy is
0: doing, doing boxing effects with his hands, which probably doesn't translate well <laughs> on a podcast, but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic and it's also got a song in that I absolutely adore. So so See, this,
1: this is the thing is like although there's all these great films that I have not seen, and it's a bit like, "How can you say you know films?" but I know the context of these yeah. Me of films, too. I've just never watched them because and... I read up on the things I'm fascinated with film. I'm just baffled as to why I've never seen these films.
0: You yeah, know, when I did film studies, who were we talking about? Uh, what did you watch the other day? Uh, recently I've watched "Singing in the Rain." which I absolutely adore, my favourite all-time musical. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. You see, I've never seen Sunset Boulevard in its entirety because I did it as film studies and did it in sections. I feel like I've seen the entire film, but I realise I've never seen it from start, start to end continuously. Um, I've seen it in broken up fashion. But yeah, great idea, Andy. And let me know what you think of The Thomas Crown Affair. My other choice would be Starman for very personal reasons, which I will talk to you about on the next episode if you get a chance to see it. And that's it for The Film File. Please join us again on our next episode. Stay safe, look after yourselves, don't do anything silly, and remember, if you build it, they will come.